Um, thanks for your word. Thanks for um, the way that you uh, speak to us through that. Thanks for uh, how you have allowed us to be in relationship with you and how you have really um, given us things that you want us to be about and you want us to be doing. And when we do that, Father, we experience uh, not only your presence, we experience purpose, meaning, significance in the things that you have for our lives. So, Father, would you help us to uh, uh, grow in that and to learn to be about those things? And we pray that in Jesus' name. Okay. So let me ask let me ask you, but well, let me tell you something as we get started first. Um, what I'd like to do today is this. This will be a little different, so this will definitely be different than like you would be in church. Uh, that is, if you have a question or if, uh, you know, a point of clarification or something doesn't make sense or you just like, you know, hey, I don't agree with that. Uh, well, don't tell me that. But, uh, you know, if, if it's any of the others, you know, then feel free to jump in there and, you know, let me know. Because if there's something you didn't catch or something, I'd be glad to clarify that. I, I'd like it to be a little bit more give and take like that. Also, um, when I ask some questions, they're not rhetorical. Like when I ask you a question, I really do want to know. So one of the questions I have for you is this. What motivates you to want to learn to have a personal ministry? That's what this was about. If you're thinking, oh, I thought this was on dating. No, no, no. Uh, this was not that when you want to go to a different one. But if it's, you know, what motivates you? Now, obviously, I don't need to hear from everybody, but, you know, I want to hear from people. What, what motivates you to want to learn how to have a personal ministry? Mm-hmm. Trials. Trials, yeah. Trials, just things you're going through. It's double things. What is this? Uh, more meaningful way to impact people? Yeah. Yeah. More meaning in life than it has yeah, starting a new phase of life. So learning, okay, how do you do this in the workplace? You know, it's one thing to do it like on campus. It's a whole other thing to do it in the workplace. Another thing to do it in the home. It's another thing to do it, you know, just in the community. How do you do it in different settings? And what we're going to talk about today will apply to all of those settings. And so hopefully that will be helpful. Um, how do you learn to have a personal ministry? That's what I want us to focus on today. So we're going to look a little bit at that. Who would you say would be the perfect person to look at if we were to get an understanding of, like, who, who, who can you think of that was probably the best at living out personal ministry? Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul would be great. Even better than him. Jesus. So we go, wait, better than the Apostle Paul? How can you? I know, it's hard. Jesus. Jesus. And here's the, here's the thing. All of ministry, if you want to learn how to do ministry, all of ministry really is about relationships, primarily. It's about your relationship with God, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with others. And so, anything that you focus on in ministry that starts talking to you about maybe like different techniques, but doesn't talk to you specifically about relationships, it is missing the very heart of, of ministry because it's about relationships. Now, knowing that, let me tell you something else. All the stuff we talked about this morning, while if you don't know it, you won't be able to do it, what I will tell you is this. 
Knowing it is not the end game. Like knowing how to have a ministry, that's really not the end game. The end game is actually taking it and putting it into practice. Because if you don't do it, then it's just so much information, you know, that you have stored in your mind. It takes up space that could be taking up stats from the building state warriors. And so, uh, you know, you don't want to do that. You want to actually have extra space up there. So, um, do we have anybody, anybody that are biography readers here? Anybody in the biography? Oh, a few, a few. All right, I, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those geeky guys. I love biographies. Now, not all of them. I mean, I'm not like into, you know, like, I don't care, like, to read, you know, the Kardashians or anything. I, I really don't care, okay? But I mean, what you'll find is this. There's a lot of people that will tend to read biographies. Some people read a few, some people read more. But we tend to read biographies of people that we admire or people that we're fascinated by in, in a couple of hopes. One in the hopes that we get to know them better, but also in a hope that by copying the details of their life in some way, we can experience more of what they experience in our own life. And here's the thing. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what I would propose to you is, while we look at those a lot of times, originally they were biographies of Jesus. And if you really read them that way, then what you began to do is you began to pick up on the different things that went on in Jesus' life, patterns he had, traits he had, practices he had, that if you put those into practice, it will not only allow you to experience more of what he has for your life, but it will also allow you to learn how to really do ministry well, because these were the very things that Jesus did. So when Jesus says to us, come, follow me, another way of saying that would be, come, copy the details of my life. Come, follow the details of my life. And if we begin to do that, we, we can experience a lot of what he has for us. So what you see when you look at the life of Jesus, he modeled a lot of practices that were really, really helpful for us as we learn how to have ministry. Basically, what I want to do today is I want to focus on four. Okay? We'll focus on four. So now we'll pass this out because now I'll see if you can begin to focus on this. So let me pass some of these down this way. And send some of those down there. We'll send some of those to the back right here and here. That should be enough to get everybody going. So the four that I'd like us to focus on this morning are really um, these. Abiding, sharing life with others, practically loving others, and remembering that God is in charge He's the one working. Did we run out of here? We have enough up there. We should have some of the back. We don't have enough there because I sent more than we needed down the road. Okay. So look at those again. They're outright right there. Abiding, sharing life with others, practically loving others, and remembering that God is in charge and is working. So how can you work those? How can you work those four into the natural rhythms of your life? How can you begin to do that? What I would suggest for you is the little acronym you see there at the top, four three two one. Four three two one. And if you will simply remember that and you will begin to integrate that into your life, you can begin 
to actually experience more of the life that I want you to experience, plus you'll be able to actually begin to be involved at a grassroots level in uh, personal ministry. So, 4321, they stand for this. Four, four hours a week meeting with God. That would be addressing the issue of abiding. Three hours a week eating with others. Now, some of you are going, are you serious? This will allow us to have a ministry? I love this already. Yeah, I know. That allows you to do more of the sharing line. Two hours a week blessing others. That's really more of loving others and, and really helping them. One hour a week praying with others. That's remembering that God is the one in charge and he's working. So let's begin to go through those and look at those. First one, abiding. Abiding. This one right here, the four hours a week with God, this is where we learn how to abide. In abiding, what you do, in addition to some other things, but what you do primarily is three things. You remember who God is, who we are, and you remember what he has for us. Who God is, who we are, and what he has for us. So the very first one there, who God is. He, he is the one true God. He is the one who spoke into nothing and created something from it. He is the one who loves you deeply. See, a lot of times people don't get that. And I mean, it totally, you know, they're, they're trying to work and figure out how to have a ministry, but they haven't gotten the very basics of understanding, you know, we get to be related to the God of the universe. He has provided a way for us to know him and be in a relationship with him. And he loves us deeply. And then who we are. He is the one, God, that is, he is the one that we get our identity from. In John uh, 1, 12 and 13, it says, Jesus came to his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. And then he says, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of man, but are born of the Spirit of God. They're born of God. So what you see is this. Whenever we come into a relationship with Christ, what we do is we receive our sense of being, we receive our sense of identity from him, from God himself. Paul terms that something, what Paul calls it throughout his writings, is being in Christ. It's, it's, it's a thing that they would call in theological terms, union with Christ. Union with Christ. But really what it is, it's, it is a point at which you begin to share in God's family. You're part of God's family. Paul, when Paul's talking about this, you know, a minute ago Chuck brought up Paul, and he's, he is exactly right. Paul, if you look at all the letters he wrote, they comprise about 100 pages in the scriptures. Over 150 times, actually it's 160 sometimes, in those pages, he talks about this term, in Christ. In Christ. Over 150 times. It was the central theme of everything that Paul wrote about. And what he's talking about here is this is where you get your identity. Your identity is found in being in Christ. What that does is that changes everything about the way that we conceive of ourselves and about the way that we minister to other people. See, if you think about it, how, how do most people receive their identity? Most people go around, they start trying to figure out some way to achieve it. They look at their performance, they look at, 
They look at uh, so many different things. They look at their personality. They they look at what they have, their possessions and stuff. They look at all these different things, and they think that somehow that defines who they are. But the reality is we're defined who we are by God himself. We don't achieve it, we receive it. And so you begin to look at that, it makes all the difference in the world. The last part then, um, you know, you begin to figure out what he has for you. As his kids, there are things God wants us to do. Let me give you a few verses that I'm going to let you look up and work on later on. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And one that I'm sure most of you are familiar with. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Commonly referred to as the Great Commission, that is where we find out in the very first place that God wants us to have ministry in the lives of other people. But in John 15, uh, 4 and 5, and verse 8, he says this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So, let me ask you this. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. How much work does a branch have to put forth to produce fruit? You ever thought about that? You ever go out and look at like fruit trees? You see branches going, <laughs> going no, no effort, right? There's no effort to produce fruit. The only effort is to stay abiding in the tree, to stay abiding in the vine. It's the same way with us. A lot of times I see people wanting to do ministry and they think, oh, I just got to work so hard. No, 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 no. You work at staying abiding in Christ. You work at allowing your identity to come from him. You work at remembering who he is. You work at remembering the things he has for your life. You work at abiding in him. If you just work at abiding in him, then what you find is all the other things take care of themselves. But you have to work at abiding. That's what you put effort into. So, to do that, you spend time with him. So, as we get into the scriptures each week, what that does is that reminds us of each of those truths, and it shows you how to continue to abide in him. So, four hours a week with God. Now, what that might look like is this. It might look like 30 minutes a day, like six days a week, and then maybe on one day a week, you take an hour in the Gospels really getting to know more about Jesus and who he is. Or, one that I prefer even more, you take like 30 minutes a day, like seven days a week, and spending time in the Scriptures, getting to know him, remembering what he says about you, remembering what he says that you're to be about. You spend 30 minutes doing that, and then you just take that extra 30 minutes because... 30 minutes times 7 would only be three and a half hours. You take that extra 30 minutes, and what you do with it is you kind of review and summarize what you've been learning for that week. So for me, about once a week, I'll just sit down and look back over the last week and write out, okay, what are the things God's been saying this week? What are the things he's been teaching? So learning to abide, that's the first one. Four. 
Three. The three. Three hours a week, even with others. Now, this is the one you guys are most excited about. Here's where you practice just sharing life, you know. Long ago, before there were ever cathedrals or in our day, theaters, where you kind of have a stage up front and people are up there, long before there was that, the early church met around tables. And what you began to see was they met in people's homes, eating and drinking as brothers and sisters. That was really how the early church met. In fact, in a couple of weeks, the very thing that we talked about here, a couple of weeks when we have church around the table, that's really how the first century church, actually the first three centuries, that's how the church met. When the church spread all over the world, it was meeting around tables. In Acts 2, I'm going to read this passage from Acts 2, uh, verses 42 through 47. This is a passage about the early church. And what I want you to do, as I read this, I want you to listen for and tell me things that you notice. It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What are some things you notice from that passage? What are some things they did? Mm-hmm. Yeah, unity. Very common spirit. They were, they were for each other. They were together, working with each other. You guys are doing bashful now. You know, three different times he talks about breaking bread together, <clears throat> eating together. That was one of the big things that they were about, eating together, spending time together, doing that. That's one of the things that we want to do. We want, we want to get in that pattern. Um, the meal in the first century, that wasn't an add-on thing. It wasn't like, well, I guess we should add a meal. No, no, no. It was the main thing. In fact, we only talked about this, but I mean, the Lord's Supper, uh, as it is today, you know, you get like, you know, like a little piece of bread or cracker, you know, and some juice or something. That's not how it was. It was a full-on meal in the first century, okay? It was very different than it is today. So it was different. Why? Why do you think the meal was so central to the way they did things? Yeah, I mean, Jesus sat around eating and drinking with the disciples and with others all the time. Why? Why do you do that? Basic need. Hmm? Where do you get to really know people? Around the table. Have you ever noticed that? Like if somebody says, you want to get together, you know, you go, I wonder what they want to get together about. It's all worried. But if somebody says, you want to grab lunch? Yeah. Why? Because it's lunch. 
<laughs> you know, everybody likes lunch. And so you sit down and you start eating lunch, and in the midst of eating lunch, guess what? You really, all the guards are down, and you just get to know one another, and life is really shared together. And so if you want to begin to get involved in people's lives where you can really help them, begin to be around the table. You know, it doesn't have to be anything big. I mean, tonight, it could be, you know, something like Wendy's or something. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be anything big at all. It, it, it can be something very small, but getting around and getting people to eat. So, three hours eating. Now, all we're talking about there is like 21 meals you have a week. Some of you I know, 27, 28. But I mean, you know, basically 21 meals a week, you know, about three meals a day, you know, seven days a week. So, Taking three out of 21 and eating with someone else. I would encourage you to do that this way. One, I would pick somebody, somebody within the fellowship. One of the things you see in, in scripture is there were three aspects of eating together. There was eating with people that were lost. There were eating with people that were a long ways away from God. There were eating with people that were part of the family of God. And then there was eating that was like with God himself, which is where you know, the Lord's Supper thing came in. But what I would encourage you is begin to take that, uh, kind of take some uh, uh, cues from that. What I would do is I would spend one meal a week in this thing as you're trying to learn how to have this. You spend one meal a week with someone who is apart from Christ. Spend one meal a week with someone who's like a part of the body here, like a part of the church. And then spend one meal, your call. You know, it's an all skate. Anybody can, you can choose anything you want there on that. It could be one of the same people. It could be a different person. It could be a person of either category. But begin to share life with them. Begin to share life with them. As you do that, as you practice sharing life, as you practice sharing hospitality, what you begin to find is you have the opportunity to be able to minister into the lives of other people. Third thing, two hours a week blessing others. Now here, this is where you really practice loving other people. That could take a lot of different forms. That could take on, you know, acts of kindness. Uh, maybe it's some words of encouragement. Uh, maybe it's looking to serve someone in a specific way. Or maybe it's learning to provide something for someone that, that they really need. So it could be any of those four. It could, it could be serving. It could be... Uh, Acts of kindness, it could be providing something for them, it could be encouraging words. In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said this, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, in that you have love one for another. Now, the way we use the word love today is, is very different than what they did then. The way we think about love today has been totally impacted by media. I mean, it's usually pretty sappy kind of a thing, you know. What we kind of feel like is, you know, well, if you love someone, you just have this warm feeling, and you just walk around, you know, and somebody say, what about him? I don't really love him. What does that mean? I don't have a warm feeling towards him. That's not what it is in Scripture. In Scripture, you will the good of another ahead of your own. That's what love's about. You actually will their good above your own. And so, you know, parents do this all the time. Now, 
Two days ago, we welcomed grandchild number 10 into the world, young Titus Jeremiah. And so uh, young Jennifer, our daughter, had him. And um, you know what? It's the strangest thing. Like, he woke up several times throughout the night, like a lot, wanting to eat and wanting to be cleaned up. And so they didn't give him back. They kept him. Can you believe that? I mean, now, if you had someone that woke you up every two hours throughout the night and wanted you to feed them and wanted you to clean them up, would you think, I love that? No, probably not. We, we think, good time. That's crazy. No. That's, that's just called real life. What happens? And what you find out is that when you actually love other people, you handle the relationship very, very differently. You know, Jennifer and Wade both were sitting there, they're going, oh, we love him so much. And I was thinking, well, the all he does for you, I can see that. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, where else can you get someone that will, you know, actually, you know, wet on you and, and things like that? I mean, you just don't get that everywhere, you know. But they really are. That's the kind of love he's talking about there. Parents do that with their kids. They will their good ahead of just what's good for them. That's the thing you want to do when you're loving other people. So how did Jesus do that? You see a lot of ways. Um, Jesus loved people very practically. One, he accepted them. You look at like Matthew 26, verse 6, or John 8, there with uh, the woman caught in adultery. And what happens? Well, they find this woman, they bring her out before Jesus, they throw her before Jesus, and, and they begin to accuse her of all these things. And Jesus uh, listens, and he kind of bends down and begins to write some things in the sand, and he says, uh, okay, yeah, makes sense. I'll tell you what, let the one without any sin cast the first stone. And all of a sudden they begin to peel off. And you see Jesus, it didn't matter people. He was around folks that were a long ways away from God. And yet they loved to be around him. Why? Because he accepted them. Now a lot of times people have problems with that and they're like, you know, but I don't approve of their lifestyle. Acceptance doesn't mean approval. It means acceptance. So you need to learn to accept them right where they are and begin to really be in their life. Second thing he did, he affirmed them. He affirmed them. You see that like in Matthew 16, 18. You know, like with Peter, again and again. I mean, Peter usually just opens his mouth to exchange feet. And yet Jesus affirms him again and again and again. Um, he served them in John 13, uh, verses 4 and 5. It talks about Jesus knew it was his last night on earth. He knew he'd come from the Father. He knew he'd returning to the Father. He knew the Father had given all things into his hand. And what did he do? He saw the disciples were all standing there with dirty feet. So he takes off his robe, gets a basin, and begins to wash their feet. One. That was what they needed at the time. When he was with the 5,000, what did he do with them? Fed them. Why did he feed them? They were hungry. Yeah. Practical needs. See, I mean, a lot of times we look at scripture like, Oh, it's this mysterious thing. No, it's just, you know, it's very straightforward. Why did he feed people? They were hungry. Why did he wash them? They were dirty. You know, 
Very straightforward. Other things he did, he befriended them. You look in the scriptures like in John 2 or Matthew 8, and one of the things you see, like at one point, Jesus is going to a wedding. Why? Well, people are getting married. So he's going to their wedding. He goes over to Peter's house. He goes and hangs out with him. He goes boating with the disciples. He has a cookout with them. He does all kinds of stuff together with them. Why? Because he was their friend. He befriended them. If you want to practically love other people, look for ways to befriend them. He met needs in their lives. There again, you can look at Matthew 8, 16, Matthew 8, 23 through 26, Matthew 14, 13 through 21. Again and again and again, Jesus just met practical needs in people's lives. He forgave them. Um, Luke 7, 48, John 21 with Peter. I mean, he had told Peter, Peter, you know what? In a little while, I'm going to be taken captive, and then everybody's going to scatter, and Peter goes, <coughs> Jesus, no, not me. These other guys, I've always got to suspect that they're anyway, but I mean, you know, John, always wanting to lay his head over there on you, you know, Matthews, tax collector, I've always thought those guys were the walk, but not me. And he says, Peter, actually, before the night's over, you, you will deny me three times. And he's like, And he does. What does Jesus do? Does he said, that's it, we're through. No, he puts him in charge of the whole thing. I mean, totally forgives him, totally moves forward. If you want to practically love other people, one of the things you began to do is you do what Jesus said. As I have loved you, so you are to love other people. In very practical, practical ways. So, two hours a week doing that. Um, Again, I would look to do that for three people. I would look to one person outside of faith, one person within the church, and then one free. But just looking to make practical means in people's life, looking to bless other people. Now, here's the thing, guys. This won't get in your schedule just by accident most of the time. Now, occasionally somebody will ask you to do something, and you're like, oh, I guess this is one of those things. All right, I'll do it. You know, but instead, you have to actually be intentional. You have to actually be looking around and thinking, how can I meet practical needs in people's lives? How could I be an encouragement to somebody else? How could I actually help somebody else? Which may necessitate things like asking questions, like saying, hey, do you need any help with this right here? Or, hey, you know, I, I I have this right here, and I didn't know if you could use this or not. If so, you can have this, you know. Whatever the case may be, you need to be intentional about this if you're actually going to actually put it into practice. And lastly, one hour a week praying in a small group, it's there that you remember it is God who is in charge, and he's the one that changes things. Now, it doesn't have to be a large group. I mean, it could be like one other person. Uh, but it does need to be at least one other person. And you want to get together with them, and you want to pray with them. What kind of things do you pray for? Well, pray for God to be working in your own heart. Pray for uh, those who are a long ways off from God, for them to really come to know him. You know, in John 6.44, Jesus said, No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws me. 
So you want to make sure that you're praying for those things. Um, pray for those that you're working with, that God would really help them to grow and really uh, uh, change and, and be changed. Some verses, let me give you a few verses that I'd like you to be able to take with you and work on. Psalm 127, 1 and 2. John 6, 44, that we just mentioned. 1 Corinthians 3, 7. All of those speak to some different aspects of, you know, if God does not move, then we are in trouble. See, the reason we pray is this. There are things God will do if we pray that he won't give up. And so if you would begin to pray, you can really see God working in people's lives. Some other verses. Jeremiah 32, 17. Jeremiah 32, 27. In Jeremiah 32, 17, you know, Jeremiah's talking. He says, God, you know, nothing is impossible for you. In Jeremiah 32, 27, God says, you're right, Jeremiah. I am the God of all the earth, and nothing is impossible for me. And in Jeremiah 33, 3, God says, therefore, call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and mighty things that you do not know. And so, you know, as we begin to come to now, you may be like I was for the longest time. I would, I would read these verses and I'd think, well, yeah, but that's Jeremiah. I mean, obviously, you know, this is, you know, he's probably getting God's attention. God says, who are you on Jeremiah? Oh, Jeremiah. You know, so, or, you know, Elijah. You know, Elijah comes up and, you know, you think, wow, so Elijah. You know, so, I mean, you think, yeah, but I'm, I'm me. I'm not there. Let me give you another verse. James 5, 17. James 5.17, James, the brother of Jesus, says this. He said, Elijah was a man just like us. And the words he uses there means the same substance, same kind of guy, same kind of nature. Elijah was a man just like us. And he prayed to God that it would not rain in Israel, and it did, did not rain for three years and six months. One. Because of prayer. And what James is trying to get people there to understand is this. Guys, there are things God will do if you pray that he won't be done. So pray. So one hour a week praying. Now there again, that could be two 30-minute segments. It could be four 15-minute segments. But what I would encourage you to do is this. Begin to build these four things into your life. Begin to build abiding into your life. Begin to build sharing life with other people into your life. Begin to build blessing people, loving them practically into your life. Begin to build praying into your life. If you will begin to do that, what you'll find is this. You can actually begin to have ministry in the lives of other people. Now, you, you may ask me, you may say, now, Daniel, are, are, are you sure about this? Yeah. Because you know, years ago, years ago, I remember I was back, you'll have to take this by faith. At one point I was a college student, okay? I know it's hard to but it's true. But I was a college student, and all of a sudden it hit me about my sophomore year that I was sitting there and I thought, wait, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, tanta ethne, all the ethnic groups. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And I was sitting there thinking about that my sophomore year, and I thought, huh, wait a minute. He said, teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. What did he just commanded them? Make disciples. So, it moves right on down the line to us that the thing that God has for our lives, we are to be making disciples. We are to be living that out. Now, when that began to hit me, I began to think, well, God, could, could you do that? I mean, could you use me to do something like that? I mean, I don't know what I'm doing. But I began to pray, and I began to look at that, and I began to get involved with the lives of other people. And what I began to find was this. If you will walk with Jesus, if you will really set your understanding on what does he have for your life, see the goal clearly, then you set the pace in that. And then you share your life with other people. God will use your life to impact the lives of other people. I can tell you that. It will happen. Time and time and time again. But what you got to do is you got to begin to build things in. So I would tell you to be patient as you're building in. I, I'm not expecting that by next week, you know, everybody's going to be going, well, pretty much got that 4 3 2 one down. You know, you know. But there was one guy I was working with this past semester. We were talking. One day we're sitting here having lunch. I said, how are you doing? He goes, yeah. if I were to describe my weekend ministry, it would be more like, uh, Three, one, zero, zero. <laughs> I said, oh, okay. He goes, I gotta get this thing going. I said, keep working on that uh, three part, you know, because that's the key to everything. You take care of the depth of your walk with God. God will take care of the breadth of your ministry, but you need to take care of the depth of your walk. Get to know Him. Get to know what He has to say about you. And what I'd encourage you is begin to do that same thing. Now let me open it up and just let you, if you have questions, I would want to see if we can answer those. You may not have any. I'll have an answer for everyone, the shortest of which is, I don't know. So, uh, any questions you have? Yeah. Oh, in terms of sharing what you just talked about meals, how do you have any meaningful conversations with the board? You just talk about the Kardashians. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. I'll tell you what. If you ever, do, do any of you guys ever get stunned in conversation? Like, you don't know what to say. You ever do that? Uh, I'll give you a simple thing. Simple thing. Like, there you go. F O U L. You're safe. Okay? Um, this right here, you can go into any conversation the rest of your life, and you'll be okay. F-O-U-R. Talk to them about family. Talk to them about occupation. Or if you're a student major. Talk to them about upbringing. Talk to them about religious background. And I have found over and over and over as I meet with people, 
and I talked to them. I just talked to them about the family. I'll be talking to them and say, so, you know, tell me, tell me a little bit about you. And I'll say, whatever. Or you want to be stuck. I said, well, let's see. I bet you were born at a young age. Yes, I was. Okay. Let's start there. You know, so we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about their brothers. We'll talk about their sisters. We'll talk about, you know, what was family life like? You know, we'll, we'll talk more about that. Sometimes they'll say, well, I decided to major in uh, computer engineering. Oh, I see. Why did you decide to major in that? We'll talk about that. Or we'll talk about the job they're in. You know, what led you into that job? What did you like most about that job? We'll talk about their upbringing. What did you, what did you enjoy about where you grew up? What did you not enjoy? What were some things you, what were some hobbies you had? What were things you were involved in? Then, these are all general questions. Then, like with religious questions, you can just start off with very, um, open-ended religious questions like, you know, so, did you ever, uh, did you ever go to church or anything while you were living there in, you know, Timbuktu? You know, they can say, well, you know, yeah, I did, or, you know, no, I never did, and stuff like that. Oh, okay. And so you talk to them about different things. I have done that for years, where I'll, I'll talk to them about that, and then you can move into more. So, like, I saw the one guy one time, and he was from Boston. And so we're talking, he's telling me all about that. And I said, well, that's great. I said, so you love growing up there on the north end of Boston? Oh, yeah, man, it was great. I love these guys. Oh, he goes, yeah, I mean, I asked him, what were the things you liked about your upbringing? He goes, well, you know, I like this, I like that. You know, my folks, they drug me to church all the time. I said, oh, you had a drug problem. I said, well, yeah. <laughs> no. uh, he goes, man, you know, it was one of those things that just took me all the time, you know. And I said, oh, okay. I said, well, then you ask him more specifically. So I said, so, when you were going to church, did you ever develop a personal relationship with Christ, or do you think that's something you're still in the process of? Ah, guess I'm still in the process. I said, oh, okay. I said, what do you think is necessary to do then? I don't know. I said, I can tell you. I can give you the Reader's Digest version in about five minutes. All right. And I did. And just share with you. And you can do that same thing with people over. So just, you know, if you're ever stoned, remember four. F-O-U-R. Just remember, you can, if you remember four, you can have conversations with people the rest of your life. And uh, talk to them about things that are very important. I, if you listen in conversations, one of the things you'll find is many times you can have um, influence in people's lives just simply by paying attention. I, I was on a plane one time and I'd been speaking at a thing, and I, I, I really, you know, I was tired and, and I sat down and I thought, oh good, these seats beside me are wide open. So I thought, I'll just be able to sit here and just be quiet the whole way back. And so I sat back. And just as the plane door was about to close, this gal pops on board. She goes, oh, my gosh, I didn't think I was going to make it. Oh, my gosh. And she pops down right here beside me. And I thought, <laughs> and um, she just begins to chat it up and chat and chat and chat. And, and I'm like, you know, and I was nicely trying to just not talk much and do that. Until finally, we got to, so you might want to pay attention. And I thought, okay. And so I began to listen a little bit to her, and she's telling me she was selling jewelry uh, around, and she's like an exec selling jewelry, and she's doing all this stuff. And I'm listening to this, and I said, wow, okay. She said, yeah. And she goes, you know, I'm, I'm getting back into town now. And she said, you know, I've been out this long. And she's telling me, and I said, 
So you, you travel quite a bit like that? She goes, oh, yeah. She's telling me all about it. And then she goes, yeah. She goes, I'm going, you know, usually like uh, maybe five days a week uh, a lot of times. I said, well, that must be tough on your marriage. And so you're going to go over and she's just kind of sitting up on there. She goes, yeah. I don't know that it's going to make it. I said, well, I'm really sorry to hear that. She goes, yeah. She goes, actually, I think it would take two new people for this marriage to work. I said, well, I can tell you how you can get one of them. She goes, what? I said, I can tell you how you can get one of them. She goes, oh, how's that? I said, you know, First Corinthians 5.17, Jesus says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So I said, you can do it. And I went through and I explained the gospel to her right there as we were going over Palm Springs. And somewhere about Riverside, she decided to commit her life to Christ. Now, the only reason that happened was just paying attention in a simple conversation. And so, you know, what I would encourage you is, as you're in conversations, listen to what the other people are saying. Listen to what God wants you to be engaged with. It'll make a huge difference. Any other questions? Questions you have at all? Well, I don't assume that we probably transferred to heaven. You could possibly get an answer. Well, let me pray, guys. If you do have more questions, or if you have questions, then yes, actually I do. It's just I'm incredibly shy and I never ask questions in front of people. Feel free to talk to me afterwards and I would be tickled spitless to answer any questions you might have if I have an answer for them. So, uh, Pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you that uh, someone loved us enough to take an interest in our life along the way. And that's why we are uh, where we are today. And for some of us, Father, we really do need someone taking an interest in our lives right now. So help us to be the people that are doing that as well. That we would come alongside, we would walk with. We would uh, really love well. We would serve well. And Father, would you use the people in this room to begin to really be involved in the lives of other people, to begin to have a practical ministry in their lives simply by abiding and sharing life and loving them, realizing that it's you, the primary source that's working in their lives. And so coming to you and asking you to really work, change, and shape their lives. So help us to do that, Father, if we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks.